The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal, from the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Welcome to Engaging Truth, where we engage the issues of the day with the truth, the power, and the wisdom of God's Word. I'm your guest host, Dr. Gregory Seltz, the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., where our job is actually to protect the church's public voice so you can preach and teach and proclaim the whole counsel of God for the sake of those who hear. And on our program today, I've got a leader in our church whose job is to actually uh, lead our church in all the issues and challenges of the day so they can be useful in God's hands. Our, our guest today is Dr. Lucas Woodford. He is the president of the Minnesota South District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Farmington, Minnesota, and he's also a writer. He writes and speaks and researches on a lot of issues uh, for doxology, and the one we're going to talk about today is responding to social justice and critical race theory. Uh, welcome, Lucas. How are you today? I am great. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to be with you. Writing for Doxology, okay? And I love what, what it says there, that your job is to do this research, writing, speaking, uh, research regarding the care of souls. And I think uh, some people know that my PhD is in some of the same stuff, Black Liberation Theology, and it's challenged to Lutheran every ministry, and it's all about caring of souls and reaching people for the sake of the gospel. All right, so what is the how does social justice and critical race theory get in the way of that? What's the issue? Sure. Well, some of the challenges, I think, with uh, critical race theory, social justice, and, and its blocking of soul care, I think it's, uh, well, we might put, it's not always a rational thought uh, and doesn't have a lot of people engage on rational uh, grounds, I suppose, okay. but it's an ideology that isn't helpful uh, for uh, understanding truth, uh, where truth is at, and as one who cares for souls coming from the Christian perspective, uh, a look at the nature and the identity of a soul as one that's been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and uh, how is that soul afflicted by the maladies of society um, and their own, including their own sins or sins committed against them, as well as the sins they commit. And so critical race theory um, in its popularized version, and I just for uh, depending on how the hearers are who are listening right now, uh, critical race theory itself was a legal theory used in the 70s, but it's popularized now in a manner that the social justice movement has been uh, co-opting it uh, to push forward and to, to label and categorize people in demeaning ways, doing the very thing that it, it says uh, was done, to, <clears throat> excuse me, done to black people. Yeah, it was done to them. And so, yeah, it's using racism to solve racism. One of the things that, and again, folks, you know, we're not coming at both uh, Lucas and I, um, Dr. Woodford and I, are, we've actually been in, in situations where we've had to actually deal with this straight up because we care about the people in the neighborhood and the folks in the neighborhood didn't necessarily look like us either. We were empowering them. It was for their sake that we fought these things. And what I learned, and I'm sure what he's going to talk about too, like black liberation theology didn't liberate anybody. 
Right. You know, it's politics didn't liberate anybody. And I was about empowering the neighborhood. It's the same thing with critical race theory and and social justice. It brings a justice that isn't just. And so right. when you get to that as Christians, we're like, no, we really want to do what's right for the sake of others. So, all right, let's get to some of the particulars of CRT. Um, you know, so for people who don't really know what this is, they use a lot of terminology that we kind of go, oh, I think I know what that means. But then we really don't like systemic uh, sin versus personal sin or things like that. Talk about some of the, the precepts of it and why it starts to uh, kind of go uh, uh, far afield from what we really need to be talking about. Sure. Well, some of the concepts uh, that go with it are, are different words, bringing new words in um, and definitions are important. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Definitions are important for that. And so we recognize first racism itself. We'll talk about that. That's evil. Um, right. And viewing someone as uh, inherently inferior based on a color of skin or where they're from. We recognize that as sinful and evil. However, within the social justice setting, you got terms like white guilt, white privilege, white fragility, um, and those have implications for how you treat people, particularly white people, and how they view government's role should be involved in it. So white guilt, simply something along the lines of individual or collective guilt felt by white people for harm resulting from racist treatment of ethnic minorities, white privilege, unearned advantage based on race, which can be observed both systemically and individually. And when we talk about systemically, it means uh, the phrase might be it's baked into the system. Um, and so the, the point of uh, the whole United States itself, it says it's based on uh, white privilege. And the whole point is to try and keep down minorities. Of course, we um, don't believe that and we don't treat uh, minorities in such a way. White fragility, same way. It says that white people are so fragile, they can't handle even a minimum, minimum amount of racial stress uh, becomes intolerable for them, triggering defensive motives. And if they exhibit white fragility, it proves their racism. Uh, and their inability for that. A few other key terms, I think, are things like equality and equity, right. uh, which goes towards the belief that uh, we should have uh, equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity. Right. The idea of critical race theory wants to uh, force the equality of outcome upon people and wants the government to enact that over against the equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Quality of opportunity allows for meritocracy and people's effort and pushing that forward. But critical race theory in its popularized version uh, is an effort to try and uh, put white people in their place for the oppressive nature and, and reparations, if you will, that were uh, deserving from the sin of slavery uh, that had gone on and, again, was horrible. Uh, but now we've got an overcorrection and reaction coming at people and culture which are really dividing people, including the church as well. Well, and I think on top of that, I always say, what's your solution? The first, you know, because again, we can get into whole discussions about the roots of the problem, how extensive the problem is and all these different kinds of things. And that goes on forever. Um, then, then you say, well, what's your solution? The solution is state coercion of certain people versus state coercion of other people and treat this group like a, they're a group, even if their ancestors had nothing to do with it. That's where this stuff gets really rotten to the core because it's a state solution, whereas our founding fathers understood the state could be corrupt. They understood that the state could be coercively bad and they wanted to limit that. 
so that they could set religiously free, motivated people to self-govern and to actually live virtuous lives for others. And by the way, that's why the West finally got rid of slavery, because it's the only culture that said it's it's got to be evil. Our foundational principles d- cannot allow us to be this way. And like you said, now we're actually saying that the West is foundationally evil and when it's the very principles of the West that got rid of this thing. So again, as we go through this, this starts to confuse things like personal responsibility, personal accountability. What's my relationship to God? What's my ultimate identity? Um, that's destructive because it finally starts to make us think more about being part of a particular group and not even thinking about our relationship to God and to one another. Oh, for sure. And I think that that was one of the challenges, I think, as is, is you've uh, written much on liberation theology. It reduces mm-hmm. even the, the idea of Christianity to that of color itself. And it, it does the very thing that it accused white people of doing, categorizing people into tribes or groups and us mm-hmm. and them and creating divisions that need not be there, especially when our identity is in Christ, uh, whether it's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Uh, But when we're baptized into Christ, uh, that's where our identity comes from. And so it's an offensive ideology that's intent on uh, airing grievance and punishing those who are perceived to be a part of an oppressive uh, class or race of people uh, that for Christians, it's inimical to the gospel and understanding that and then reaching out and understanding people as a creature of God and their identity as a creature of God, which then dovetails as well with natural rights and understanding uh, our constitutional republic and how the founding fathers uh, understand that. One of the things that I think frustrates me sometimes of those that I dialogue with on this say, well, you're just parroting Republican talking points and really has nothing to do with yeah. Republican talking points. It's about the principles of what principles. our constitutional republic have and where that overlaps from Christian perspective on natural rights. Right. Um, and so one of the objections I have regarding uh, what people say, you need to lay down your white privilege and you need to. Uh, I had some people, even in uh, Lutheran pastors, arranging kneel downs in front of black people to demonstrate uh, our white privilege. And then we need to lay down these rights that we would have because of our evils heaped upon uh, the black community. Right. Well, it's, it's a confusion of what God has endowed all people with right. uh, and somehow saying, I'm going to lay down these rights. Well, I can't give them up because God is the one who's given them to me. And that's how I want to treat every ethnic minority, white people, black people, uh, we have a large Hmong population here in the Twin Cities that they're all endowed uh, with this natural right by the creator. Um, but because of the, uh, and this is, we can go on a different topic on this, but because the 24-hour news cycles in the face of people with things on critical race theory and teaches them only how to emote and not how to think, uh, it reduces them then just to piles of emotion uh, that where white guilt then, of course, is played upon uh, and then creates more divisions rather than solutions. And they want they want us to give up the because I've seen this and they don't really clearly define white privilege and white supremacy and all that, because Western thought now is considered white supremacist. Right. And those are the inalienable rights of individuals outside of their color or ethnicity, which is really the most unique thing in human history. I want to just say, just so people know that we really are taking this stuff really seriously. Look, 20th century. 
uh, Chicago World's Fair was a white supremacist expression. I, I'm with you on that, but it was built on Darwinian notion of, of humanity. And so if you're a Darwinist, by the way, the, when I start with the whole discussion of Darwinism today, if someone says, well, that's who I am. I'm a secularist and there is no God. I say, oh, then you got to be a racist. Because Darwinism is the foundation of racism, but this notion that God created us all and we all have we all are made in the image of God and we have we have an intrinsic value because we're created by God. That's the Christian worldview, folks. And so we've been fighting this Enlightenment secularism for hundreds of years, and for some reason we never attack it. It's it's the foundation of all this nonsense, and so it just happens to have a, a more diverse face now, but it's still supremacy still based on skin color, still based on outward characteristics that don't define you as a human being uh, by God. And so again, I love what you're doing here. You, you've written this paper that really is extensive. If people want to, I think we'll get to where they can get a copy of this because it really lays out a lot of these terms and, and we can't get into all that today. But our, our goal is to tell people, folks, we have a message. We have a message that cuts through this, that allows us if we need to repent, we repent, but it, it gets to that foundational notion of who we are in God's image, who we are because of what Christ has done and how we can become a community of believers. And it doesn't matter what ethnicity we are. And that's really the nefarious part of this stuff. They're saying things like there's a white gospel, there's a black gospel, there's a Hispanic gospel and on and on and on. Right. Right. And, and that's just, that's not how the scripture speaks and dividing right. it up in, in those such categories is not how the scripture speaks at all and, and how revelation speaks about where there'll be a great gathering from every nation, tribe, right. and language. Um, and the reality is, of course, Christ, the shed blood of Christ is where we find uh, the remedy and a way forward in the midst of this. This side of eternity, we're always going to have these issues and challenges because of the depravity of humankind. But in Christ, and this is where we can begin looking. The church brings a solution for this. We certainly recognize the uh, lovelessness, meaninglessness, and, and the challenges that have been wrought upon the Black community as a result of many of offenses done to them. But we do have a response of an ethic of love and care uh, from our particular our, our Lutheran understanding of things, knowing that we rooted in the two kingdoms, we call it, uh, where, uh, as Luther said, that uh, a Christian lives not in himself, but in Christ and his neighbor. neighbor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, otherwise he's not a Christian. And so he lives in Christ through faith, but he lives mm -hmm. in his neighbor through love. And this neighbor through love meanings any fellow human being. And that's irrespective of their skin color. That's right. And so they live in them by love. And so, yes, we will stand with someone who is uh, receiving injustice and come to their defense and defending the neighbor. Yet as our own individual, we'll suffer all things as we take up our cross and follow Christ. But our neighbor is the one who needs that love. And so that's an ethic of love that leads us forward. Now, what defines what's right and wrong as we go about in that ethic? Of course, that's God's word again. Simply put, right. Ten Commandments guides us in that, which includes then, of course, justice, biblical justice, the virtue of justice, as opposed to the idea of uh, the, the false belief of, of social justice, um, or as a, a, one author put it, cosmic justice, of right. trying to make sure everything is absolutely equal for everyone, which is an impossibility. 
And it's and and again, the notion that we that's all in our hands. That's the modern lie that the state can solve these things, technology can solve these things, etc. Let's back up a little bit because you said two kingdom, and, I, and a lot of times our listeners are like, well, what is that? And as simply as I can say it, and and you tell me if this is helpful too. It's God is at work, but He works two different ways in the world to preserve the world. And that's usually in the realm, the states in that realm, preserving work, family, all that. And God can even work through non-believers, if you will. Just on the, They're just trying to do outwardly what is right, and God can keep the peace. He can keep things civil. So that's God's preserving work. And then in Christ alone, God's saving work. And we differentiate that work as we get involved in these things. The real problem today, I think, is that people in, in these kind of preserving discussions, they are actually talking like it's salvation. Like if we get this law in place, or if we get this group of people knuckled under, or if we get this thing passed, I even heard one politician say, we're the Matthew 25 caucus, as if taking money from one group and giving it to another is, the, is fulfilling the gospel and serving our neighbor in Christ. That is the, the that that is merging God's work into one where God differentiates that. So is, is that helpful? Just keeping it that sim. I know it's simplistic. No, I think that's, I think that's very helpful. Yeah. Um, where you're talking about that, I think another way of looking at it is just simply when we're uh, the left-hand kingdom, if I use that language. Yeah, it's that's that preserving. Our, yeah, it's our horizontal relationships, meaning from person to person, neighbor to neighbor, where the acts of love, the ethic of love is carried out. And then the kingdom of the right, um, that's where God is at work and by faith, where we live by faith and trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And so it's a simultaneous uh, that's going on, but working in two ways. And so certainly God uses uh, like Romans 13, where it talks about uh, the state, if you will, doesn't bear the sword for for no reason. There needs to be order. Uh, There needs to be structure. And that's for the good of society. And that, of course, I think goes in, in somewhat with natural rights or natural law, if we talk about that, that there's structure and order and that God has established this for people. So um, I think for Christians, we can certainly be mindful of that, but don't get carried away by all the rhetoric and the emotion right. uh, that simply would, in the news cycle constantly, rather than allowing us to think rationally about what this really means uh, and how this affects the life of all people. From a Christian perspective, it reduces the, the value and worth of human beings. Right. It removes agency from them. It, uh, it doesn't allow for the sovereignty of who they are and their rights to defend themselves, uh, but subjects people and, and essentially perpetrates the very thing that this began as a protest against. Right. And it's, that's why it's clear. I think your paper is great at this. Stick to the, the definitions. We will fight with Christians and non about equality uh, of access. Everyone gets to a fair starting line. That's why we that's why we actually support parental choice from education. So people can get a good education. You know, you can go to any school you want and black parents and Hispanic parents and white parents want it. But then these statists say, no, we're going to put you all in this one place. And so they they then will determine what they call equality of outcome, which is to take all of your decisions away from you and just make sure everyone ends up at the same place. Well, that's not a world you want to live in. And so we need to attend to these definitions because the definitions are bringing into for a whole different solution. Let me give an example of what I mean, the defund the police movement. We got involved in this and this is kind of an outgrowth of CRT. 
And I, I was talking to somebody. I said, yeah, two kingdoms. I, man, look, I don't want a police state in my neighborhood. Who would want to have a police car on every corner driving home? So I look at people. Would you like that? You know, I even say, you know, those signs where you have like how fast you're driving. You know, if you had a camera on every one of those signs, would you want to live in that neighborhood? Of course not. I don't want to live like that. And there is some uh, cause for that kind of thing in some of our communities. But here's the question. If you if you um, take a police, uh, you know, have less a limited police force, limited government in, in a neighborhood, you got to have stronger families. They, they are in inverse relationship to each other. So I said, so if you're going to do that, you cannot also be defunding and destroying the family in your policy, which is what these groups were doing. Defund the police, destroy the family chaos and make them all dependent. And we just came in and said, no, if you're going to defund, then you got to uh, incentivize the family. If you disincentivize the family, then you got to have a strong police force because human beings do really terrible things to each other. And so we got involved in that. And everyone said, wow, we've never heard that argument before, <laughs> you know, and that's two kingdoms. You know, that's God's right. preserving work and we can make that argument. And then, but God's saving work is going to come from free hearts and free people serving and caring for each other. And I think you're right. That's what we've got to start doing. Hey, go back to this one thing in your paper. You talked about how our identity, yeah. and this is ultimately our, about our identities, folks that ultimately our identity is the key here and how the gospel actually is calling us in a whole different direction. Right. Well, so uh, as one who has been redeemed by Christ, uh, we are covered by uh, Christ's shed blood. Uh, the language we talk about and just simply how scripture talks, we are baptized into Christ. So our human identity we have as a creature of God, and that's where, of course, being a creature of God made in his image, we don't want to reduce the value of any one creature, regardless of what race, ethnicity, nationality, uh, or sexuality they might have. But in Christ, uh, and, and being the person that God has made us to be, we have a baptismal identity then. It cuts across all of them. Right. And because of that identity in Christ— one who has claimed us and named us as his very own, uh, then he gives to us a particular character where identity and character go together. So the gospel then calls us to a daily contrition and repentance. So again, it goes back to knowing what's uh, not only morally right and wrong, but spiritually right and wrong. And so repenting of those things that are, are wrong and sinful, and in that repentance then, uh, we are receiving the righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of sins. But this character then also, uh, baptismal character, leads us forward in our behavior. And behavior that looks to defend those and that does seek biblical justice. It has an ethic and action as citizens as well. So we understand right. that we are redeemed by Christ. Uh, but we also bear that vocation of a citizen in a country, and we recognize the rights uh, and the reality of the government there. And so we enact those vocations as citizens, uh, which again can include defending our neighbor. Uh, and so that human, uh, that identity as a human being redeemed by Christ is integral to understanding then the life that the Christian has in a social uh, uh challenging the challenges that are going on in our society today. Well, you know, I, you got so much good, good work in this. And again, I would have people will, will again, try to direct them where they can get a, a hold of the paper, but I love 
kind of what you were talking about too with law and gospel, 100% sinner, 100% saint. When it comes down to who we are as human beings, we're all 100% sinners. So God levels the God levels the field. You, you, if you're going to say that group's innocent and this group's not, there's no such thing. Right. So there's 100% sinner. And what what social justice theory and, and black liberation theology does, it says, and, and if you're part of this group, you cannot share God's saving work with this group. Uh, and so w- basically all we're saying, what what Dr. Woodford and I are saying is, look, I'm 100% sinner. He is too. And we're fighting for the right and opportunity to proclaim to whomever God sends into our life that they can be 100% saints in Christ alone because of who Christ is for them. And you will not deter us from that. But we'd like to legally fight back so that we have the right to do it freely in this culture in which we live. Um, Dr. Woodford, where can they get a hold of this paper or, or, or learn more about this? I know you've written on this. Is that something that's on the uh, website someplace? Or can we make it available here at Engaging Truth? Yeah, we, I'll, I'll shoot you the link for it. It's uh, I'm, I'm a fellow with a group called uh, Doxology, which is mm-hmm. the, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. Uh, it's a monograph, uh, but it's in digital form, free for people. Um, it's, we'll provide the link from doxology.us, uh, but it's a, a sublink on there as well. I'll make sure I get it to you so people can grab it. Well, thanks for writing this. Thanks for your service to the church. I know you are a blessing, and we'll talk with you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Have a good day. 